Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to All Stats, aren't we? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the seagull on the stadium roof of the podcast, watching the game without a care in the world. And I'm joined by the Alioski of the podcast, Darren Driver. Enough said there. And finally, the looking forward to new faces next season of the podcast, a debutant, it's Jacob Stanbridge. Jacob, how are you doing? I'm really well, thanks, John. Uh, how are you? No one asks me how I am, so you're already, you've already got a tick in my book. So, uh, But it's great for you to, to come along and join us and have a little bit of a talk about one of the worst games of the season. So, um, yeah, how are you feeling about that? It's really like a sense of deja vu. It's like the exact same as the other Brighton game, except only three of the players started in the same positions as the players who started in that game, but somehow the same things happened. So, uh, yeah. How can you have deja vu? It's your first time on the bloody podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a very good point, but... <laughs> I guess it's just I, I try and think about the games afterwards and I mean even during the game I'm just thinking this is the same <laughs> yeah and uh, a guy who is often on the podcast after we lose a game it's it's Darren Darren how are you yeah I'm good thanks um, as you know I, as you may be aware this weekend is the weekend of the World Snooker Championship final and the one of the guys that got, has got through to that final is Mark Selby and I can't decide whether Brighton or the Mark Selby of football or whether Mark <laughs> Selby is the Brighton of snooker uh, I haven't quite got that sorted out yet um, but I, I'm sure I will have managed to get it into my brain by the end of the day but other than that all good thanks yep I actually turned down a ticket today to come on this podcast did you I had to get a lateral flow test done at a very quick turn of pace and I couldn't manage it so I ended up not going yeah I, I considered going to one of the semi-finals but the idea of getting a lateral flow test and then sitting with my glasses steaming up for four hours just didn't appeal to me so but well, we're not here to talk about snooker, although one day, no doubt, Darren Driver will have his own snooker podcast true. and will yeah. leave us all behind. Um, but <laughs> until then, we are we are going to review the Brighton game, which, uh, as Jacob's already said, was very much like the last Brighton game. So um, we'll start in time-honoured fashion with the, the old chestnut. How did that feel? So Darren, how did that feel? 
Yeah, I I was in a foul mood from about minute three because I, you could just see how it was going to play out. You could see that Brighton were going to play a very similar game to to the one where they played previously, where where they you know they kind of press very intelligently and 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 the way that they press kind of really means that our weaknesses um, in in terms of build up get exposed quite quite badly. Um, and yeah, it it just felt increasingly sort of frustrating for the first half and then a, a, a sort of real sense of glum despondency came over me for the second <laughs> half and I just wanted it to be over because I just knew that there was you know that that, re- that really we weren't going to be able to to create that chance and you know the any any hope that came and and, and it's a full-on hope at this stage when you're going come on Pablo come on and save us again I, I do I, I do agree that that is a full-on hope but but I can't remember whether it was immediately after or immediately before that that they scored and then that was just kind of that was that and so yeah all, all in all just just really really frustrating and very reminiscent of the first game but what I am glad about is that it puts to bed the idea that the pitch was what caused our first uh, defeat by Brighton because yesterday's game was played on a much better surface and was almost identical. Yeah, Jacob, we'll come to you. What's what's your take? How did it feel for you? Largely similar to what Darren says, really. Along with that, I think it's just continued reinforcement of the ideas that there are certain profiles of player that we're missing and that really the summer is going to be very important to uh, to sorting those out. And we just have to get to the end of the season now. That's that's my main extra thing. Well, let's start digging into where things went wrong. So I've, I've I listed a few things down in the in in the running order. I should say uh, we've not been on social media this weekend as part of the the boycott, so we weren't able to ask for questions. So I've just pulled out a few topics that we can talk about. So first thing, where did things go wrong? I've written down three things here. Press, uh, which Darren's already mentioned. Possession, I think the opposite side of that coin, which is we weren't able to hold the ball for long enough. And we've seen these problems uh, emerging in both games against Brighton. Um, another thing that's been mentioned is player tiredness, which I think is... I, I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with that or I think it's maybe an excuse to use that uh, when we spend a lot of our time arguing that there isn't such a thing as Bielsa burnout as soon as we have a bad performance to then just blame it on the burnout. So yeah, I'll start with you, Jacob. Like, Which which of these do you think was maybe the most important? I think it's really a sort of combination of possession and press. Uh, I think Darren touched on the press very well already. And to go on with that, I think that we were trying to, to deal with that and bypass it by going longer a lot. Melier was kicking everything long. But the difference between that and, say, some of the other games, like the Southampton game, for example, like those five defenders all across Brighton's back line, they're all huge. And there's five centre-backs, essentially. And they're just mopping everything up. Um, so that was, I think, a, a particularly large problem. And then when we did have the ball on the ground, there was a lot of breakdown in the wide areas, particularly on the left flank, I thought. Alioski, Harrison... We know what they're like when they're having off days, and I think that was that was an example of that. To go along with that, then it was the same thing as in the previous Brighton game, where there was Robin Koch on his own in the middle, and we weren't seeing Robertson click drop down to to help them out, and it just felt like they were getting outnumbered back there. The other thing I just add to that, without really touching on on other points, is I'm not sure if the team selection w- was anticipating the kind of structure that Brighton actually did. Like recently they've been playing still a 3-4-3, but with the two strikers much higher and wider and then Trossard in the middle and a bit deeper. And then the wing backs being Moda and Gross being a bit more sort of inverty. But with Lalana getting unavailable and then White and Byrne coming back, it's 
altered the structure, and I wondered if maybe Bielsa was thinking about Dallas in the middle, Harrison and Alioski wide, and and so it was just uh, the setup was the best of what he could do with the tools he had available. Yeah, that's interesting. I've just got FB ref open in front of me. You mentioned that Melier was doing a lot of kicking. He had the most progressive distance passing wise uh, this season, which I think is that's very rare. It's usually one of the two centre backs um, who who does that. I noticed Strauch's third. Um, on that list, Yorente um, is very low on that list. He didn't didn't really seem to get into the the, the progressive passing game at all yesterday. Um, the other thing that you said is interesting is, and I said I think I said this in the podcast um, midweek was that I just I just had a feeling that Brighton were going to come out and play exactly the same way that they played uh, when they came to play against us, and I think that's pretty much how it transpired because that stru- structure is just so nice for playing against Leeds, where you can funnel players into those into those deeper areas. You can have more defensive wing backs, and then you can just bring pressing traps in in, in wide areas. And Leeds just, I think, the part of the reason why maybe Koch doesn't look maybe as as useful in in the game like that is because they they're not too worried about allowing the ball to progress down the wide areas. So you don't really need to use your central defensive midfielder as a pivot in those build ups and um, you get into this scenario then where the ball just gets funneled down into the wide areas the, the press is sprung uh, and then from there you're sort of in, you're constantly losing the ball in possession all the time in that sense but I'll go over to you Darren have you got anything you'd like to add on, on any of this stuff? Yeah I, just just one thing really which is something which I, I remember talking about from the home podcast is that I th- I, one of the things that I think Brighton's press enables them to do really well is it en- enables them to bifurcate our team into two very distinct very separate units of five and and I think that one of the other things that I noticed yesterday is that when they were when they were pressing, instead of us being able to form that that line of two and that then that line of three, which facilitates our build up play, that they were they were managing to flatten our back five into into a fairly flat, fairly deep unit. And what we needed was something that we didn't really get until Pablo came on, which was somebody to to actually demand the ball from the back and to drop into those half spaces and to drop um drop between the two lines and try and demand the ball and and we we needed. We needed more lateral movement from both Roberts and from Click, I think, because I think they, that would have enabled us to drag them around a bit more. But as it was, it felt like a fairly stationary performance where we weren't able to play through the thirds in any meaningful way apart from down the right-hand side a few times. And and because we weren't able to build up at all down the left, it made us incredibly predictable in, in the way that we were trying to move down the right. And um, I just kind of really felt, I really felt that it was just obvious what was going to happen. Just I want to just come back to the to the player tiredness point, John, because I know that I've mentioned it to you a few times in, in, in group chat and, and when I've been chatting with you. And, and, and I, I don't think that our players are any more tired than anybody else's players. I don't think it's about Bielsa Burnout, but I just think every player who's playing professional football right now is absolutely knackered. And I think that you've probably seen numbers dropping everywhere. And, and the, the part of what gives us our edge is that we're normally able to outperform other teams' Uh, physical output quite dramatically and I'm sure we are still doing that but it just feels to me like everyone is suffering from a kind of real lack of sharpness and and that we're really struggling from that. Yeah I think when we were, we were chatting after the game I was saying to you we've played I think 40 games this season by the end of the season um, because we'll have played two cup games on top of our 38 league fixtures and that's not a lot of games <laughs> compared to, especially compared to previous seasons right so I think yeah I agree with you that they're there is obviously that tiredness there um, because it's been two, I mean, it's been three very intense seasons, right, in a row. Uh, we've also had two seasons basically, you know, 
dovetailed into one another without really the chance of any kind of break. But at the same time, you know, when you compare that against some of the teams that we have been playing against, they've been playing. I mean, we've just come up from a spell where we've played against Liverpool, Manchester City and Manchester United, all of whom will have played a good number more games than we have just because of the amount of uh, extra tournaments they've been playing. And now obviously they've got bigger squads and et cetera, et cetera. There's caveats everywhere. But um, I do kind of think that to just jump to the well, it's just a tiredness issue, I think, is maybe missing missing some of the point that, that Brighton are just very well drilled and uh, Potter knows exactly... Potter. Said that. <laughs> Potter? <laughs> I said that in my, uh, my finest Rickman. But um, yeah, I, I do think he really knows how to exploit our team. I absolutely don't disagree with you. I, th- I think that is the primary factor, but I just... But um, I, I think that, that what, what plays into that, and you sort of touched on it again there, is that, yeah, the, the squad depth that some of the teams have got is much deeper than ours but also that we never ever ever rotate so if if there are players you know there are certain players who if they are fit will play every single time and I think that might be catching up with this with, with some of them a little bit one more thing I just wanted to say about the the, the structure is that I think the way that Brighton really um, really nullify us is by is by their back three sort of having those two outside centre-backs who can then help out with the wing-backs as well. So they funnel they funnel down into those wide areas, but then they can they can afford to have one of their centre-backs pulling across and they've still got two big centre-backs who are able to head balls away that are crossed in. And it, it just, it got to that point, didn't it, where it just felt as though those crosses were, and it felt the same in the first fixture as well. Those crosses go in and even if you do a good cross, you've got, you know, 78 foot tall Dan Byrne clearing things out or you've got you know you've got Webster you've got Donk you've got Ben White um, Ben White maybe not quite so good in the air but again the three centre-backs who are all just able to close down move the ball and and cause us problems yeah and I thought they not they nullified our ability to press really well as well because they, they were kind of very they were very I don't mean this pejoratively at all they were, but they were very direct in the sense that they either carried the ball directly or they moved the ball directly and were only prepared to risk it in in their in our back third really so that 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 meant that they were able to kind of secure their possession much more easily than we were and it completely nullified our press i think that's very true like again just as we went long a lot from the goalkeeper sanchez was just hitting dan burn all the time with all his all his kicks and then they were more willing to recycle it back when we got pushed back and then those three centre-backs, they're all so good on the ball, as you were saying. And so it's easy for them to sort of manipulate around Bamford and Roberts and then find where the safe space was for them to then progress it forward, either through the carrying of Webster and White and Dunk did a lot of passing through the lines as well in the first half. The idea of Perveda um, going for headers with Dan Byrne is still making me <laughs> chuckle now, though, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, he's basically twice his height, isn't he? Yeah. But- Right, let's move on. So obviously one of the takeaways that I saw on the timeline a lot was that Leeds were missing Rafinha and Phillips. Um, I don't think anyone would deny that, but I'm interested in how much of an impact you think not having those two players made. So I'll, I'll jump in with you first on this, uh, Jacob. What did you make of, of this issue in terms of Rafinha and Phillips and the impact they might have had yesterday? The biggest thing with Rafinha is just his unpredictability. As Darren said earlier on, the stuff that was going down our right flank you basically knew what was going to happen because none of those players are necessarily players who are going to beat a man, go inside and outside, try a variety of different things. And Rafinha will do a lot of different things. He'll, and um, as well as all of those, he's got that really incisive passing on his left foot, as well as the stuff with the ball at his feet. And so I think we just missed a lot of invention um, from Rafinha and also his set piece delivery. Um, Harrison, is Harrison set piece to delivery? It's like Harrison on the pitch. It's inconsistent. He put that really nice one in for Urente against Liverpool, and then a lot of the ones here were just claimed very easily by Dan Byrne. Um, so that was, I think, another big miss. 
What about Phillips, um, um, Darren? What did you make of him not being on the field? I think uh, when, whenever we don't play, whenever he doesn't play, I think we, we do miss his physicality to a degree and his kind of proactive um, proactive defending. And I think that, that there have been times recently where he's been our best chance of kind of making a chance through pressing. Um, and but I, I think we we may have missed that a little bit, but but overall I don't think it was a it was a game, and I think and again it's very much like the the, the previous the home game. I don't really think it's a game where where the person that plays in that role is going to have a huge impact on the game one way or the other, and and I think that's primarily because of that pentagonal press where where that they're kind of they're really even if that player does get the ball, they're kind of really limiting the options that 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 they've got available to them and we wouldn't have you know for example you you hear people talk a lot don't you about you know Phillips range of passing and his ability to hit the channel and all that sort of stuff he I don't think there's there would have been any real scope for him to kind of get involved in the game from that point of view yesterday so yeah we missed him and we missed Rafinha but I I don't think that, that that well I think Rafinha would have had a better chance of maybe trying to nick something for us yesterday but but I don't think that either of them would have made a huge difference to the pattern of the game overall. I get frustrated, I think, in the because Roberts uh, Phillips is one of our best players. There's a Freudian slip there. Uh, because <laughs> Phillips is one of our best players, that we then have to try and over exaggerate everything he does. And there's uh, he has a very specific skill set and uh, a very specific um, set of things that he is expected to do well. And I thought largely Robin Koch did those things yesterday. I, th- I didn't think that he had a particularly poor game. I was, and I'll, I'll be honest, I've been, I've been interested to see what Koch can do there um, because I do think he has a tendency to maybe be a little bit flappy and leave his leg in and be a little bit easy to pull around in, in um, one-on-one situations. But I thought he was fine yesterday. Don't think there was really anything that, that could, um, I mean, yeah, you know, we're talking fine margins. So maybe Phillips would have pulled something out, but you know, Phillips, Phillips is a player who is, primarily a defensive player who if he's got space has a really nice long pass um and i i just don't think that against brighton you're going to see any of that being done because you can't find those channels because they have double coverage in the wide areas with the the wing back and the, and the outside center back so but i'll push this over to you guys what did you make of of robin koch um darren what did you make of him yesterday i thought he was absolutely fine i thought he was i thought he was he d- he did the things that we required him to do on the ball reasonably well, reasonably competently. I thought he tried some interesting passes. You know, when he when he did when he was given time and space, a couple of times when he tried to find Harrison with nice little chip balls. One of the times where Harrison miscontrolled it. Um, I thought that defensively he was he was absolutely fine. I thought he broke up what needed to be broken up when it was around him. And I thought I and one of the things that that. I've rated about him ever since we signed him and I've talked about this on the podcast a lot is that I think he positions himself really well in all phases of defensive play so I, th- I thought he did that well both when he was in the uh, central defensive midfield role and when he moved back to centre back as well. I think largely I'd, I'd agree with all of that. Um, I think it, it, it is in a game like this it's always going to be a bit of a, a n- not a no-show but it's always going to be a bit hard because of the press. Like Mope was so good at Making sure the passing lane was cut off to him, and I noticed back on the, on the rewatch that when when the ball shifted around a bit, Mope was always pointing to other people to get them to cover him if it had moved away from where he was. Um, and then, like like you were saying about the the range of passing, like just in the last game they didn't have Dan Byrne at, at wing back, but it just made it even harder than the job that Strauch had to do in the in the previous game. Of you're just not going to be finding anybody in that channel because there's someone who's six foot seven up there. Um, I know that opinion on Strauch in defensive midfield is sort of polarised. 
I don't think that he did a lot particularly different to what Stroud would have done. Um, the only the only thing I sort of wonder is I think he's probably a little bit more mobile than Strauch, but I don't know if it's to the extent that makes much of a difference. And then maybe, and this is a real tentative one, because he's naturally right-footed, whether that puts them at more of the angles they're used to with Phillips, but I think probably both of those things are relatively marginal, and Strauch's quite good with his right foot anyway. The thing with Phillips, I think it's been quite unfortunate in a way, in terms of narrative, that Games he's missed have included the two really fluky losses against Wolves with the Melier own goal and the Palace one, and the and three really good presses, the two Brighton games and the the four two against Arsenal. And I think that's really shifted the narrative. If he'd missed against like I don't know West Brom or some of those other games, maybe we'd be talking in different terms. Yeah, I do think that's important. I do think there's not many teams who really press high, especially on the on the defensive midfielder in the pivot situation. But yesterday Brighton had they had their two midfielders. It was mainly Pascal Gross who was who was pushing up on him, but they have the ability for either of those two midfielders to just cut off cut off the the option for the defensive pivot to turn around uh, and get get you know the ball facing forward. Uh, but like you said as well, they're absolutely incredible at just closing passing lanes one of the reasons why I think Urente didn't get much progressive passing yesterday is because against other teams those lanes are left open and I think Brighton are just so well drilled um, that that it's just you end up having to naturally force the ball into wide areas they they force you to play wide and then they they spring those traps so yeah I think a, a big big lesson from from this is that Brighton are just quite well drilled <laughs> Let's talk about that though, because we've I think we've made a big thing this season about Leeds not being susceptible to teams twice this season. Um, I was a little bit nervous at the mid midway point that maybe teams would start not figuring us out, but um, you know there the are certain things that that teams know that they can do against us. They know they can break our forward press and drive with with usually centre backs into into space. Um, it's known that you know our weak players are usually well I mean Alioski in, in a left back if you press him then you can cause problems there as well uh, but it hasn't really panned out that way we've been we've and we've obviously seen that that sort of switch to maybe a more pragmatic approach as a result of this I think um, but Brighton really do seem to be a team where we haven't learned a lesson for the second fixture and um, I wonder why we think this is J- Jacob do you have any thoughts on that? I saw this one in the running order and I was I was really quite unsure about this one I can't Nothing really leaps to mind when when you have a manager like Bielsa who you expect to sort of think these things through. It it does seem like a bit of a bit of a, a hole in that. That, like I said earlier, I'm not sure if Bielsa picked the team anticipating the Brighton setup. I'm I'm not 100 percent about that, but um, I wonder if it was just a case of oh the team sheets out. It's different wing backs. What we're expecting. It's going to be a different structure. What can we do? And we just sort of default to what we know. But I I'm not sure. Darren, what about you? Do you think there, there could have been things that we could have done differently that would have made it easier? Well, I think I think the one lesson we we didn't learn, or the, or the one one major area that I think could have made an impact on the game, is that we we didn't find a way to kind of to get get the eights involved in the game in in any meaningful way. And I think if we'd have been able to do that, we might have been able to to kind of find ways through them. But I think I think primarily, I think one of the things that we need to consider is that in games where we've where we've done better in the second leg. Um, Quite often, the opposition manager has, has gone with a different tactical approach. So, for example, I think of Leicester primarily when they did. They played a completely different way in the second game, and that enabled us to us to play in a slightly different way. I think Brighton, although they, their results haven't been amazing this year, I think we've all said all season that that we think that they're kind of um, a team that that 
contain a lot of our kryptonites in different ways so that they're able to funnel us into wide areas they're able to press well high they've got center backs who are incredibly comfortable on the ball and and, and drive forward and and that at the moment because what what you need to get around that is really good build-up play and and f- for the midfield to link things up that those are things that we've identified all season has been gaps in our in our in our setup and in our personnel so um I, I just think it's one of those things where you know that that really without 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 different personnel or without di- without the same personnel playing in vastly different ways then I, th- I think you are going to struggle I'm, I'm a bit disappointed that because I think I seem to remember in the home game that that we we got better towards the end because Tyler Roberts came on and one of the things that Tyler Roberts did was start dropping in to pick the ball up from from Luke Aylin and driving it forward and we never did that yesterday and I, I think I think there's a bit of a weakness there that 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 perhaps there was a lesson that we learned in the game last time that we didn't carry through uh, in, into this one but yeah I think overall it's because Brighton are a very good very well coached very well drilled very disciplined team. Yeah, I I don't know really what I would do to change things up, but I think part again part of the problem is that that we just seem unable to possess the ball in the middle third. Like we can possess it at the back, and yeah, okay, they pressed us quite high at times, and we lost the ball in a few silly scenarios. But we can get the ball into the the middle third, largely no problem. But then we just have such a problem holding on to it um, that the the only really way to get out of that is to, I guess, play it long. And as we've said, you know that suits Brighton as well. And it it seems hard to to really know what you can do with that. So short of change up the the overall approach, which is largely to move the ball into wide areas and then maybe use the the two eights as as a sort of facilitators to get it into then those deep wide areas I don't think that really works against Brian so I I guess the only thing I could really think of is like having some sort of option where you can try and go a little bit more central uh, and 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 be a little bit more penetrative in in those spaces but I think again that's that's really hard and we didn't really have many of the players who have the guile to be able to do that and don't think you can just bring on Pablo Hernandez and and hope for him to to do that against a team like Brighton so um I, I suppose the we should talk about the structural changes so uh, Dallas started out as a as a winger um and obviously ended up as, as a as a left back and we brought on Perveda um and I think Bielsa was ta- was asked about this in the post match, and he, he sort of made made the point that he he thought it might be better to have a natural winger in there, which I think <laughs> I probably agree with, given that I didn't think Dallas was particularly useful in the first half until he was uh, switched. Um, do we think that? I mean, it, it didn't feel as though we were particularly soft in the middle. Um, there's like a few Ben White like roving runs, but they were more by luck than by judgment I thought and Webster maybe got forward a few times as well especially when Rodrigo came on I thought but it didn't feel as though we necessarily needed to be more stodgy in the middle um I don't know if anyone if anyone has any thoughts on the Dallas as a winger phenomenon I think for this game Dallas was on the wing but he was sort of playing like Dallas plays in deeper positions like that there's a thing that you sort of see with Dallas when he's playing like particularly at right back where he'll get the ball and then just sort of stop and like scan for his options and then maybe pass laterally or pass backwards. But there were a few times he got the ball and there was space or like one player ahead of him to attack and he did the same thing again. I just don't think really that that kind of stuff is his skill set. And and that's sort of what made some of that be a bit more predictable because really what we were doing on the right was most like the third, third man run combinations and there was that nice one too he had with click relatively early on possibly even before their goal. Um, but yeah, apart from that, I, I just think that 
he's not the kind of player that works for this team on the wing. Maybe in a very different structure, but not not for us. I guess the alternative question then is, do we think that if we'd have played Dallas as a left-back and then had Pervader on from the beginning, you're obviously taking Alioski out of the frame as well. Do we think that that would have made enough of a difference for us to to maybe get something more out of the game, Darren? Um, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. I, I think. I think we might have looked more dangerous, but not necessarily been more dangerous in the sense that you know, in the second half, Pervader had some good runs and and managed to beat beat people on 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 a few occasions. But then there was that the, the there's that thing that we've kind of noticed about Pervader before, where where once he's beat the man, that that seems to be kind of the bit that he needs to develop to or learn to do next. Because what what tends to happen is he beats the man and then we lose the ball. Um, whereas I think, which I, I don't know if I prefer that to, to maybe Dallas kind of retain, retain just retaining possession in quite a, quite a kind of, I don't know, a turgid way or something. Um, but actually, I, I think one of the things I, d- I did want to say, and this doesn't really relate to Dallas or, or Pervader, so do forgive me for that, but, but I thought there were quite a few occasions yesterday when we had opportunity to kind of retain good possession and to try and try and pick an easier pass or to try and find a better angle for a pass that someone was then trying to find, but that we, we, we played far too speculatively at times and that we could have retained possession much much more easily and much much kind of more productively than we did and I, I think that might have helped but but overall I think against Brighton on the wings you need people who are able to beat their man and then and then find a cross and at least Pervader can beat a man and that that's kind of where I'd, where I'd end with it I think. If I could just leap back onto what Darren was saying about Pervader um, I guess the difference about starting him um, compared to him coming on in the second half like even when he came on in the second half he was getting a couple of men to him and if he'd maybe been able to do that from the start and get us a bit more space before Brighton had scored, it might have been a bit different because I guess the difference is always they had a goal and it, so they were more happy to seed stuff to us. Yeah, what did we make of, of Pervader in general? Let's have a, have a chat about him because I think he's a player who I think he was the only player really who was stretching their structure at all and they were so structured and it was hard to break down that it felt as though he was useful but then at the same time it didn't feel as though once we'd stretched Brighton we really did very much with it. Yeah, I I agree, and 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 you know, I kind of I don't really think my my opinion about Pervader has shifted much over the season, and and it's it's been the same in that that one he receives a ball, he's very likely to beat his man, and then either his his end pass isn't good, or or his kind of ball striking doesn't seem to be quite as good as as it as it could be perhaps, and 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 that you know, short of beating the man, I'm not really I'm not really sure kind of what he's capable of beyond that. So I I think. My my overall impression of of him is that that he's fun and I enjoy watching him, but I'm not sure how much more productive he makes us. I would tend to agree with that. I think to his credit, he he did make things happen and pulled them around a bit. And maybe if other people had been on their game a bit more, then that could have led to something more happening. But I think like particularly with maybe with Harrison, it not really being his day, then there's only so much that any one player is going to do, especially a player like Pervada who. Isn't yet a superstar, however more technically suited to a role like that he is, and he's definitely not a fast stick target man. Let's put it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's Josh Hobbs who who talks about Pervader being sort of like a high volume sort of player. You know, he obviously has lots of dribbles. He wants to get on the ball, and I think that's that's something that's really important. But like you say, there has to be a level level of efficiency there because if it's just going to be high volume dribbling for high volume dribbling sake, then. I, I'm I'm sort of questioning like what what impact 
does he actually have in this team and i i suppose it that's part of what development is about you you try and get those young players into scenarios where where they are able to develop that more efficient side of of the game that they are able to develop that i guess game sense as it it might be a good way of talking about it because it's not about being a baller it's about being able to do stuff with the ball that can that can help your team out and I, I suppose for me I'm sometimes left questioning like what what is it that we've actually achieved from having from having pervaded despite the fact that every time he gets on the ball you can see him that his ball control is brilliant he he can he can move the ball around and stop losing possession or not seed possession in that sense but you've got to still be able to do something with it um once you've once you've progressed the ball into into certain spaces ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Let's talk a little bit about the attacking play because yesterday it felt as though nothing was going to land. And you've mentioned this already, I think, Darren, that there's just some games where it just feels inevitable. Uh, if we can't get the if we can't get the positional stuff working, it just feels as though the only way we're going to get chances is by either having Luke Ayling shooting with his left foot from miles out, <laughs> Diego Llorente shooting from inside the centre circle, or Stuart Dallas, you know, wrong foot volleying it from from outside the box. You know, these are the sorts of chances that we were creating. Um what do we think is 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 wrong here? Because uh, it feels to me anyway that that there's we've we've seen this slow um, uh, decline really in Leeds attacking production, and we've I think we've linked that very much to this more pragmatic approach. Um, and I'm I'm interested in what you guys think here because after the Manchester United game, we did release our Doomcast, which um, I think you know did lower the the tone a little bit given the the events that had happened on the pitch in the first in the games immediately preceding that but i think since then part of the reason we wanted to record that was because we felt as though there were underlying issues that just weren't being addressed because results were going our way and i think that's not to say that 90 minutes versus brighton should really necessarily justify what we did there but i did feel as though a lot of the result the the, the discussion that we had was raised by that game and i think most importantly is this idea that well, it's just fine for you to shift from a from one like a more attacking approach to a more pragmatic approach. Um, I just wanted to put this to you guys and see what you felt about, about that that sort of general question in 
in the sense that I feel as though in the early part of this season we've been we were fine going forward. We did seed up a lot of chances, um, but I feel as though we've definitely lost something, and I don't think it's simply because teams are now better able to or better equipped to deal with us i do feel as though we just look a little bit less dangerous and i wonder why why you guys think that that is the case i think it's a really really good question and and i'm and i'm not sure that, to be honest that I, that I really have the answer other than things that i already touched on in in the in the, in the review last week and that that to, to me particularly when when we're in and around the opponent's final third um and we're, and we're trying to create chances that we are a bit less process driven than we used to be that perhaps we, we have become a bit too reliant on on Rafinha particularly um and and that there's a there's a kind of something which which happens very frequently as well and it happened time and time again yesterday <coughs> yesterday is that um that even when we do get into good positions, that that too frequently we absolutely waste those positions by by poor delivery or or ill thought through delivery. Um, and we we have seen spells like this under Bielsa before, like there was the, the run last season that, that that ended with the Forest game where we were going where we were seeing similar things, but against a worse standard of opposition. So I think it, this this looks and feels feels a bit a bit worse. But I think th- those are kind of the issues that we need to resolve. Really, is that we that you know, I think you you said in the in the previous podcast, John, that um that or maybe you said it off air, I can't remember, but but that that you said that you felt that that Bielsa had been spending a lot of time on the training ground, working on the defensive side of our play, and not quite so much focused on on the build up and attacking and and positional side of things, and and I wonder if there is some truth in that. But but the players that are really well drilled in in the kind of the, the system based play and the little interchanges and the little give and goes and the third man runs are generally um, either you know click. Pablo, obviously Dallas is good at those and, and Aileen, but but that we've really struggled to get them going recently, um, and that um, so I, I just think it's a it's a real combination of factors. I'm just on the Infogol site looking at the shot map from yesterday. Yeah, obviously we didn't have particularly great chances <laughs> in the game yesterday, and I'm just the best one that's got down is apparently Pascal Strout yeah. in the 22nd minute, which I I think is maybe a misread because I feel as though that was a clearance from a header. I don't know if anyone can fill me in. Has anyone got any better info on that? I can't really remember it, no. no. I, I had a look for it, and I genuinely think that that wasn't even a chance. I think that was probably a, a defender who cleared that away. And then if you look at all the rest of them, they're long shots from distance or headers from set pieces. And you, we know that the the chances that, that Bamford has been putting away this season, we've been talking about this, and uh, Lord knows Josh Hobbs lets us know what he thinks about <laughs> the way that, that Bamford creates chances. But we, we've we've... Those chances have dried up. Those sort of ball in, into Bamford, um, where he's sort of one on one with the keeper, where he gets a, a good chance of running onto the ball and, and having an effort. Um, none of those were happening yesterday, and um, it just it feels. I think there's a few against Liverpool. Maybe we had a, quite a good stretch against Liverpool, but it does feel as though those chances have dried up a little bit. And um, I think that's definitely that's definitely a, a result of the fact that we aren't creating quite so much um, as we were. Um, and you know, if you if you look at the shot map, it's just. It, there's no decent or even semi-decent chances um, that we created yesterday. So uh, it could well just be that, that this is a Brighton thing and we, we know that Brighton are good. They're very good at, at, at um, stymieing us. But um, I'll, I'll go to you on this, Jacob. What do, you, what do you make of this whole issue when it comes to 
um, when it comes to the attacking verve that has been lost by Leeds. And also just the last few games, well, we'll talk about the last few games in a little bit, I think, but what, what do you make of the attacking, the, the sort of lack of productivity that we've had recently? I think we we should acknowledge the fact that the personnel is different from earlier in the season. Dallas in midfield obviously does an awful lot of good stuff and he's sort of made the system work to some extent defensively, but offensively it's very different to playing Click or Pablo or or, or somebody in there. He's, he's much deeper and then you'll see him make late runs and so he's scored quite a few goals recently, but I guess he's I guess he's less involved in, in that build-up play to and then Roberts, as much as I like him, I guess isn't necessarily at the level to sort of shoulder the fact that we can't split it so well between the two eights. Um, and then, like, obviously Dallas wasn't in there to, to yesterday, um, but I almost thought it was a bit of sort of duplication because, and I know it's sort of an idea that some of you have said on the pod before, I think in the Premier League, click is only really used best as the most advanced of the midfielders and and like if you if you look at the scouting profile of Roberts on FB ref clicks in there as one of the players he's very similar to Rodrigo and Roberts are basically the same and I mean defensively it's not as big a problem as playing Rodrigo and click together playing Roberts and click together but I worry that they're trying to do too many of the same kind of things recently I was watching back Shackleton in the game we played against Villa where Bamford got the hat-trick and he's dropping deep all the time constantly trying to offer different different passing angles and getting up and down the pitch uh, and it feels like a player who's more disciplined tactically like Dallas but more able to contribute a bit further up um, is something that we're just really crying out for and I just, and I just really wish that a certain foreshore was around. <laughs> No need to flirt with us, Jacob. <laughs> Darren, you must have some thoughts on this. Yeah, I, I actually really agree with with the things uh, that Jacob was saying. And, and as as uh, before, I even said it, I was starting to have a, a thought maybe a, a, about about Roberts in that um, that I I am somebody who's on record as saying that I, you know I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of his and, and all that kind of thing. But um, it feels like he had a spell where he had a few, you know a few really good games, and it feels to me like in like more recently he's really struggled to get involved and he's been really peripheral. Um, so he hasn't been been able to impact things at all, um, and and I think I think that is a real problem because he had the same thing with 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 Click yesterday, and and you know we like we said earlier, you know Brighton did the same thing to us at Elland Road, but that was again with the two more advanced ad, advanced eights, and I think that it's really clear that that we do need somebody who's going to drop in and take take the onus up of linking the two two sections of the team together to kind of facilitate our build at play and support us to create those chances and 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 maybe maybe it's somebody in in the foreshore profile maybe it's some someone in the in the pablo profile because they both do that but in different in different ways but i think we're really yeah the, the kind of the bit that links the two parts of the team together seems to be missing to a to quite a large degree at times yeah i, th- I think partly this comes down to scheduling we have had like a we've had a run of games with some maybe slightly easier opponents and then we've had a run of games with some slightly harder opponents and I guess part of the problem is is that with Brighton being so low down the table a lot of people just sort of sling them into the 
easier to beat opponent category a bit too easy so i do think that the the, the next few games of the season will be will be pretty instructive we, you know we, we have got spurs spurs do have good players but they are also in a bit of a they're in a bit of a i guess hiatus in terms of like what they're trying to do um in terms of tactics and you know they've got a young manager who's had to take over from whatever it was that jose Mourinho bequeathed them <laughs> and then we've got a couple of we've got a couple of interesting games i think after that we've got a game against Burnley I think which you know we really struggled in that game when we beat Burnley and um, that became a really stodgy game and uh, that could could potentially go that way Southampton are the high pressing team and we did get the better of them last time but not until the second half of that game and then they sort of rolled over a little bit and um, yeah West Bromwich Albion hopefully will be a, a fun game at the end of the season but I'm interested in what you guys think of of, of the sort of run-in from here like what how are we viewing this run-in is it just a case of as a lot of people have said you know just get to the end of the season and um see what we can do in the summer um or do you think there's something sort of hanging on in insofar as you know there has to be something that we can build on going into the next season it's not just going to be a case of us a sort of diminishing at the end of the season and then hoping it's just all going to sort um sort itself out um in the next season because i remind you that a certain sheffield united had a fairly good season last season but they did diminish after the post lockdown uh, return and uh, obviously we all know how that went now before the pitch forks start getting sharpened i'm not suggesting by any stretch <laughs> that's going to happen but I do, I do think that it, it's not quite so simple as just being able to say, well, you know, we've just got to get to the summer now and and see if we can bring in in better players. How, Darren, how should we be using this this these final four games as a, as a sort of test case going forwards? Yeah, for me, that I, I don't really care what the results are in the last four game, in you know, in terms of wins, draws, or or, or losses. But what I do want to see is I want to see us making a real tangible effort to see an uptick in terms of our productivity and in terms of the number of chances that we create. I think that if we if we don't do that, we'll be, we'll be missing a real opportunity to, to kind of really... I suppose it's like a reset, really, to, to maybe try and reset to, to the sort of football we were playing at the start of the season. You know, we're not really... Pl- I mean, Spurs are a big team and they've got good players and blah, blah, blah. But, but they're, they're not really... Um, they shouldn't be the sort of team, really, that can absolutely pull us to bits like like uh like other teams have been able to so i think i think for me yeah a real tangible focus on on getting the attacking system working and and whether that involves rafinha or doesn't involve rafinha i don't really mind but it's i'm more interested in the system working than whether rafinha can beat his fullback and make him look silly because we know he can do that and he can but but i think one of the things that i always really valued about about bielsa's system is that even when we We've been without players who who are really good. So you know, at times in the championship when we when we missed Pablo and Saez left, when when we were without our most creative players, the system did the heavy lifting, and and those players were able to improvise around it. And I don't feel like we're in that situation anymore. I feel like all that's happening now is we're hoping that one player is going to create chances for us. So that is the thing that I need to see change between now and the end of the season. Along with that, which I think is a really well made point, given that in a sense, to use a cliche. Uh, there's nothing to play for with these games. I, I wouldn't be opposed to just seeing a bit more. I, I don't want to say the word experimentation, but Bielsa is inevi- inevitably going to have like multiple ideas about how to approach things, and I'd love to see him think maybe I won't go with exactly the same starting eleven every time, and and maybe try and I, I know that that's probably naive but um, <laughs> I feel you may be disappointed on that one <laughs> yeah no, I, I'm sure I am but like I, I talked about Shackleton a bit earlier on and I just like love to see him get to play a little bit more or ju- just uh yeah just try out plan b as it were um of the whatever ideas he's got that 
he still thinks might give us a chance to win. But I think what Darren said is really important. And um, with games like this at the end of the season, it's very easy for, for lots of teams to sort of do nothing with them. And I mean, last night in the in the press conference after the game, Bielsa was again talking about the importance of entertaining the fans. And there's nothing the fans are going to want to see more than their quote-unquote Bielsa ball. Yeah, I think you know the famous quote is, plan B is plan A, but better, right? And at the moment, plan plan A is not pretty. And I think it'd be quite nice to see plan A, but better. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm sure Bielsa is aware of that. I mean, it, it has surprised me a little bit at, at sort of how, I, I don't know, not not, unhap- not not how happy he's been with the recent performances, but the fact that he hasn't been annoyed by some of them, because I think he's definitely a person who, who does read the game well and, 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 after a game where he feels as though the team have performed poorly, will be will be quite. And he was clearly annoyed yesterday, like he hit the chair in frustration. Um, and I wonder whether or not you know he's he's that he's going to use that as a as a chance to to maybe do a little bit of of tweaking. But not that he's just going to tear up the copybook, but he is going to say, yeah, you know, it's not it's not really working doing these things this way. We've got to have some kind of other option where we can where we can um, at least produce something like um, the attacking verve that we were earlier on. So I think Shackleton is a great is a great shout with that. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people calling for players like uh, Gailhart and um, and Greenwood to come in as well. Um, which like yeah, you're not going to bring them in from the start, but by all means, like bring them in at the end of games. Like I, I can't see what. The worst thing that can happen for that is, and I don't think it is not taking the game seriously. I think it's absolutely about taking the game seriously and thinking in in the long run and thinking about how you can avoid the same situation happening this season, which is we've just had a squad that's way too lacking in depth for for us to be able to do anything with it. Just maybe, maybe just thinking about next season's squad depth and saying, look, if we can bring it, look, Pascal Strauch is the is the example there, right? Pascal Strauch was brought in by necessity, and now we've got. A player. We now got too many players at centre back. I think, as far as Bielsa would consider consider it. Um, so I think it's it's just one of those things. Like give these players time um, and space to get you know miles in their legs, experience on the pitch, the, the feeling of playing elite football. And yeah, okay, maybe it won't won't be pretty for a couple of games, but at least next season, then you can say, well, why not play them on the bench? Why not you know have them as legitimate options um, and and think about them in that way. I think the starting eleven versus West Brom might give us some indications about what Bielsa's thinking for next season because because they're they're very likely to be relegated by that point. And when we when we played Charlton at the end of last season, it was it was a kind of combination, wasn't it, of the established team plus the people who we thought might have a chance of having some impact this season. So you saw Stroke, Perveda, and uh, and Shackleton and in that team and by and large they ha- they have been in and around the first team squad this season that's the second time I've said in and around in this podcast which is a phrase I absolutely <laughs> hate um, so I do apologise for that um, but but you might whatever you do don't say with the ball and without the ball no I'm because... not going to say that I'm, t- I'm, just not, I'm not going to say that um, because yeah I'm from Yorkshire and I would actually sound like that guy Um so, uh, what was I saying? So, yeah, I, I, I've, I've been kind of hoping that in the West Brom game that we might get to see some of the people who, who Bielsa believes will be in his plans next season. So, whether, whether that's Joe Gellhart, whether it's Sam Greenwood, whether it's Adam Forshaw, which I think is probably unlikely now given his, his more recent injury. And also, I'd like to see Pablo have one last start as well. So, that's one of the things I'd like to see happen uh, in that game. But, but I think, I think it'll be really interesting uh, as a kind of prediction tool for next season. 
Okay, just to close things up, we've got some some questions about players in, in general. We have a question actually from one of our Patreon supporters, Mark James, who said, when operating in central midfield, Dallas is often referred to as now operating more zonally. I understand this to mean he holds a more central position to stop players breaking through the middle, but what does this actually mean for the player that Dallas is man-marking if he has vacated the midfield? Uh, Darren, did you have any thoughts on this? I suppose it depends which way he's vacated the midfield. So if he's dropped back towards towards his own defence, the, the opposition player, then then Dallas is just going to hold his positions only. And if if he if he goes through, Dallas's role means that he's still going to be in a position to try and get back at that player, that it's that it's likely that we're not going to be so stretched and exposed. Um and and that 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 player is still going to be running into further bodies, whether that be the, the partial libero or whether someone else comes off their marker. Um I I, I don't necessarily see it as a as a problem from the point of view of people being unmarked, I do see it as a problem in, in in the sense that what we're not able to do as well when Dallas plays that more zonal role is we're not able to unbalance people and create chances from our press with, with the kind of regularity that we've been used to seeing over the two and a, last two and a half uh, seasons. And it's something that Brighton did very well to us yesterday. I think when we're talking about zonal versus man marking, obviously when you're marking zonally, you are thinking more about space. So I think that's the best way of thinking about it is that that Dallas is more likely to allow his player to um, go into a different space and hold his ground if he feels as though he's better off holding the the zone that he's in. So uh, one of the best examples I think we have of this is when we played against, I nearly said QPR, Crystal Palace, um, Eberieze, was, was probably their most dangerous outlet in that game because I think Zaha was injured. And what we saw was that um, Milivojevic was Dallas's player and Milivojevic, Milivojevic was trying to drag Dallas quite deep, pick the ball up in between the centre-backs and then create space in the middle for Eze to, to attack. And what we were seeing was we were seeing Dallas often just doubling up on Eze with whoever was marking as I suppose it's probably ailing maybe he was just drifting and helping that out and just allowing Milivojevic to have free reign um, obviously on deeper in the field now had it been the other way around and Milivojevic was going closer to Leeds's goal that would have been more dangerous so he would have reverted to the man marking um, system there and the, the other thing is obviously the centre-backs running through so the idea is that I think Dallas is, is really supposed to be sort of like a stopper so he will just leave his man and close the the, the direct run to goal um, as well so so and and it, I think in general just means that he's also more likely to sort of leave about ten yards between himself and his player rather than being tight on him uh, once the player gets to a certain space just just uh, sorry a certain depth um, just so that he can give himself the the ability to switch between players quite easily so that's what we mean when we're saying when we're saying zonally he's just thinking a bit more about space maybe than he is necessarily thinking about man marking um, another play we should talk about is well let's talk about the number nine position um Bamford sub for Rodrigo um I think a lot of people were maybe a little bit surprised by that a few questions here one is about Bamford maybe potentially carrying an injury um he's not looked he's not looked quite so sharp as he maybe did before that injury so I I was interested in whether or not people thought he was maybe carrying that knock um and the other thing we need to talk about is whether or not um Rodrigo um does offer anything as the striker on his own up front. Um, I realise I've written lone striker the wrong way there, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> it might be on loan next season somewhere <laughs> yeah, else. Maybe one. Yeah. Who wants to jump off with this one? It's difficult to say whether he's carrying an injury, but I think it, I think it's inarguable that he's probably not as sharp as he, as he has been at various times of the season. Um, I just I just wondered whether 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 the Rodrigo substitution was supposed to mean that he would drop that bit deeper and perhaps leave space for somebody else to run into 
as it happened, it felt like he just more or less sat on the centre-backs in, in much the same way that Bamford had done, and maybe that's because of the sort of possession that we were having or, or whatever. And, and as a result, he was really able to have very, very little impact in the game. He wasn't able to stretch the pitch. He wasn't able to shorten the pitch uh, so that somebody else could stretch it. Um, I, ju- I just felt that he 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 was... Yeah, he, he really struggled to get in, in, into the game um, and... As as he's done, you know, every time we've really seen him play the number nine uh, position uh, for us, I, I would definitely agree with that. And and what you were wondering, Darren, about him maybe dropping deeper and allowing somebody else to stretch it, I think is probably where he would provide the most use pl- playing as number nine. But um, I guess that that's particularly hard in a game like the one that we had yesterday, and especially when Rodrigo is clearly not fit himself. Um, I, I, I just don't think he's ever going to be the same kind of forward as Bamford and p- particularly while we're not attacking properly. I, I don't know if that's actually just going to complicate things more as opposed to, um, as opposed, uh, we, we know when Bamford's on the pitch, he's going to make those runs, he's going to stretch it. But when we've already got Dallas maybe a bit deeper, Roberts um, not in perfect form, whether the solution to that is have another player dropping off as opposed to the role that Bamford has, which is relatively defined. I really don't know what the solution to this is. It, it does feel like a personnel issue to me um, that we just don't have quite the right players in, in the middle because it just feels as though at the beginning of the season, our press wasn't that bad necessarily. I, th- I think even with the more aggressive press, it felt as though, yeah, okay, occasionally you're going to seed the ball to a centre-back running through the middle and they'll probably cause you a problem. But it felt as though we, we were in at least in control of games a little bit more. It felt as though when we had possession, we weren't so deep that we weren't able to get the ball into into advanced areas as well. And I guess there's a there's an opposite side of the same coin style argument here as well. Is that you know by sitting deeper, what is it that we're doing in terms of the the the, the attacking play? Is there is there an impact on that on that build up side of things? I think a point that was made when we were talking about Dallas earlier um, was that he's less likely to be winning the ball higher up, um, and it sort of links in with that. If we do win the ball higher up, say with Roberts or Harrison or someone, our transitions are going to have fewer bodies in it straight away. And so by the time that more of our players are further up, maybe more of the opposition's players will be back to help out. Yeah, and we are we are gagan pressing as well, like to a certain extent. I know Josh put out a video recently just showing Phillips picking the ball up in pressing situations and using that as a chance to create. And we just don't really do that anymore. So I think part of the problem is is that when we are possessing the ball and trying to move it forward, we are attacking fairly stable structures. Whereas I think when our press is slightly more aggressive and slightly higher, you do destabilize structures just by the fact that you know they are attempting to move into a into a more open attacking structure. And if you lose the ball there, there are spaces to attack and and I think we're just sort of losing out a little bit because we are just giving teams that little bit extra time to to really sit in their defensive shape before we move the ball and our team into those those areas but at the risk of moving back into the um we're at risk of moving back into the the sort of tactical talk here so (laughs) just one more thing on that click being missing from the most advanced midfield position is probably a loss there because he's so pressy like um comparing the kind of players he would have been marking to Roberts over the times that they've been playing together and just the fact that he's there's something clearly not right with him. I think that has a, has a big impact. One final question, I think, to, to close things off, just about Luke Ayling, because um, Luke Ayling is someone who we talked about a lot at the beginning of the season because he really took to the Premier League like a duck to water. Um, feels a little bit like a season of two halves for him, but I think that's probably because that correlates to the way that Leeds have been as well. 
not just with that pragmatic um, stance that we've sort of taken recently, but also because he played a lot of games as a centre-back in, in the first half of the season before we had all of our centre-backs available to us. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd just be interested in hearing thoughts on, on Ailing recently because he does seem to go a little bit beneath the radar at the moment. So yeah, Darren, what do you, what do you make of Ailing so far? I, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was good yesterday. I think his his general standard of, of performance is continues to be high. I think he, I think he is able to, you know, still um, facilitate our our build up. Um, I think that one of the things that that is happening is because really he is our only outlet for build up. I think he's probably being being pressed more. I think there's, pro- you know, I think Brighton really made sure that they had good cover on the right hand side yes on our right hand side yesterday, so that he's not able to. Um, to impact games and to have the sort of clever interplay that we used to him having. Um, I actually felt like yesterday he was he was trying to do it all on his own because he kind of felt that, that responsibility as captain, so he was trying to drag us up the pitch. He was trying to create chances, he was trying to score, he was trying to you know, stop them scoring out. But I, but overall I, I I you know still think Aileen's performing to a to a really high, really high standard. Yeah, I, I very much agree with that. And just following on from what Darren was saying at the end, there was a moment right at the end of the first half where Llorente had the ball and Ailing was in a decent amount of space and he wanted it to drive forwards. And Llorente turned around and passed it back to, I think, Melier. And then over the cam- oh, the microphone, you heard a very, very loud expletive. And um... <laughs> That was actually me, not Luke Ailing. Oh, it was that. I, sp- I, I guess you're not far enough, not very far. Oh, no, it's not, it wasn't Ellen Road, was it? No, you could hear me from Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> I think that sort of typified what Darren was saying about the responsibility Ailing felt like he knew he could do something um, and, and he wanted to get to do it. Um, more generally, I think we've seen a bit of a, to, again, use a bit of a cliche, sort of a different side to his game because he's had to maybe defend a bit more. We haven't seen as much progression from him compared to games before. But like, for example, against Man United, I thought he was really excellent and dealt with Rashford very well. And a lot of these games against bigger sides haven't necessarily exploited his weakness in the air as much because their attacking players are often a bit more technical as opposed to physical and... And and so I, I think that has sort of played in his favour somewhat. It's just nice being able to have a player who we brought in from Yeovil, right? And mm. actually, you know, he's he has just been Premier League ready and, and we haven't really had to worry about that side of the field. So We, we brought him in from Bristol. Hobbsy will absolutely kill me if I don't tell you that we brought him in from Bristol instead of Yeovil. Sorry. He said, I've got to correct you on these things. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Apologies for that. An- another rare a rare slip of the tongue from me, of which we've had about nine in this episode, but here we are. <laughs> Jacob, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I hope you've not found that too torturous an experience. No, it was really nice. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you are very, very welcome. Darren, I suppose it was good to have you back yes, as well. Yes, yeah, thanks. <laughs> we'll be back in the week with a Spurs preview. I think I'll hit up my mate Nathan Clark, see if he wants to come and have a talk about Spurs if you do like what we do and you want to see more of it then there's also the Patreon channel although I have let this slip rather drastically recently and uh, Leeds really aren't doing their best to make me turn that around but I'll try and get something out <laughs> this week on in terms of video analysis if that does sound interesting to you then head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all slaps aren't we we are going to have another episode of Waters List this Thursday uh, Josh Joe and I will be back and we'll make it a question and answer session. There's been a few rumours that have been touted in the last couple of weeks since we recorded, so hopefully we'll be able to talk about some of those players as well who've been mentioned. So again, that will be live on Thursday at 8pm uh, on our YouTube channel, but also you'll be able to watch it on Twitter as well through uh, the app that I currently can't remember what it's called. 
Periscope? Periscope, that's the one. It's good having you guys here. <laughs> Stopping me from my slow demise into... Into pepness. Yeah, <laughs> don't, don't even start. All that remains for me to do is to say thank you, Darren. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you. And we'll see you in a couple of days' time. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 